Hi, everyone. This is Kelly Gaines for DC Comics News, podcast number 46. I'm here today with Seth and Brad. Seth, you want to say hello? I do want to say hello. Hello. <laughs> and Brad? Hello. Hello, hello. Alrighty, guys. So we have some pretty interesting news in the realm of DC Comics movies, TV and streaming, and then the actual source books. Um, but we're going to jump right in and start with movies. Um, so in our first story, um, Todd Phillips actually cleared up one of the kind of lingering uh, mysteries about the Joker movie. Um, Brad, do you want to talk about that? Uh, sure. You know, I reading this, it's kind of what I took away from the movie anyway. So I, I don't need if I, I mean, I I think that I was on uh, on his wavelength as far as what actually happened with her character that she didn't uh, you know, spoiler alert um, that she didn't die. And I kind of believe that uh, he kind of states that uh, Joker doesn't kill anybody that didn't wrong him to begin with. And she never did. So to me, to me, that kind of made sense. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, I'm intrigued by this because actually part of me believed that that was sort of, uh, well, not sort of, part of me believed that that's actually what had occurred, that um, he had actually, now here's where I'm confused and I'm just going to sort of like tiptoe because I feel that there could be a potential percentage of people who haven't yet seen the movie. So, you know, I know they mentioned that there's like, a, if you haven't seen it, don't, you know, don't go into anything else below that. I think they had a series of photos and they were like, this is your buffer opportunity. Stay out of this. But knowing that it, it's talking about basically whether or not, you know, he takes her life and how that occurs and what her fate is. I believe that there had been a situation where actually maybe he'd taken that moment to sort of like cut his last ties with either his past or anything else. So I, I was really intrigued by the whole uh, development and suggestion because part of me had considered, wow, you know, this would be one of those things where it's like, you know, once you break this tie, there's nothing holding you back. You have to kill your past or anything along those sort of lines that I've sometimes seen necessary for characters to feel like they can make a, a final move forward. So I was really intrigued by, by this, uh, you know, definitive statement. As he points out, it's sort of left to the viewer, but I was really intrigued by making that statement and sort of clarifying this. But Kelly, I was curious what you thought about it. Yeah, um, I, and without naming who exactly the her is, I was glad that he, glad to hear that he didn't kill her. I mean, it's one of those things that I, I do like that they left it open to interpretation, um, you know, because we know that the Joker isn't a reliable narrator, so... You know, on one hand, I like that audience members could have taken different things from the scenes and where they were left off. But the confirmation that she's not dead does make me feel a little bit better um, because it's it's almost strange to see this Joker who is, you know, a, a dedicated to or at least was maybe up until this exact point, not harming anyone who hadn't harmed him. Um and they, he mentions without going into spoilers, he mentioned that um, that there was there was one way that this plot could have gone, and at some point in filming, they chose to go a different direction and make it, you know, more um, more focused on 
the Joker as an unreliable narrator and an unreliable character. Um, and I was really glad that they chose to do that on the grounds that it seemed a little bit cheap to me if they had gone in the other direction, which is probably as far as I can go into this without spoiling everything. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm glad that she's alive. Good, good for her. <laughs> Very nice tap dancing there. I was struggling. I'm still I, trying to review everything I said in the hopes I didn't say something that's like, I, yeah, I, dude, way to give it away. I, I, feel like <laughs> totally I just blow put it. a big old spoiler turn on everything, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I think. Because we never named who they're talking about. I mean, I I, I think people who won't see the movie will be like, oh, her who? I mean, there's (laughs) only a few hers, but it it could go a couple ways with a couple characters. (laughs) Okay, I'm feeling better. Because as I was going, I was like, oh, crap. I'm not paying enough attention. I should be aware of whether or not I just gave away. And the cool thing is we, we haven't pointed out that in the article they do make a reference to who they're talking about in the movie in the uh the headline so i'm impressed that we all made a point of not a saying who we're talking about um and and b i'm intrigued by the something because as as i was listening to your answer kelly i was really thoughtful about something and i'm just going to give a feedback question you know it's interesting how it talks about that this was one of those moments where when they were writing it it was something that was real. And then as they began filming it, they made it less about it being real and more about the concept of reality, which was really an interesting thing to think about when it came to this movie, because it seemed like reality and what we perceive and what we don't and how that changes seemed to be one of the biggest factors in how Joker kind of became who he was. And I was just curious what you guys took from that, because it was something that while I was listening to your answers, I was like, you know, reality. This is a really interesting point to bring up because the movie deals with that concept so much. Yeah, I I think definitely. And in in terms of, you know, this Joker kind of being, I mean, none of the Jokers are reliable. We know that as a whole, especially from the killing joke, that he sort of prefers his past to be multiple choice. So the fact that this movie seemed to have been multiple choice while they were actually filming it is kind of hilarious in the sense that it's really ironic for the Joker as a character um but yeah I I don't know I I like the I almost like the version of the movie that I got in my own head so there's a part of me that is unwilling to accept any like definitive answers on anything but still at the same time it's interesting to see other people's kind of takeaway uh Brad what'd you think uh yeah, it is interesting to see other, you know, other people's takeaway. Um, and I think that the, the, the idea that they didn't necessarily plan everything out, I think that that really helped to bring a certain authenticity to the performances, which really shows reading that it makes me realize, oh, OK, you know, that that definitely makes sense uh, that some things were kind of not determined uh, when they when they started filming. So I think that that was. Uh, really cool, and it had a really cool effect for the movie. That's that's pretty incredible. And I would also just like to say, <laughs> back to the spoiler thing, if there's somebody listening to a DC Comics news that hasn't seen the Joker, <laughs> what do you want? Well, you're a DC fan. Go out and see it. <laughs> well said. Well uh, yeah, said. I couldn't couldn't you, have ended that on a better note. I mean, literally. <laughs> 
go see it if you haven't seen it or don't watch the news. There's there's just Fair no enough. in between. <laughs> you know, or there's that 15 second skip ahead button. You should have been using that the whole time on this until we got to the next topic. Just yes. hit that button. If you didn't already, that's your new clue. Spoiler, hit the button. Hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> And if you have hit the button and you're just coming back in now, we can uh, kind of we'll we'll come back to the Joker, which you'll have to probably actually no, you won't have to hit the button again for the Joker. But for right now, we're focusing on his number one rival, which is Batman and Matt Reeves, the Batman movie, which apparently is looking at Colin Farrell as a possible Penguin candidate. Uh, Brad, what do you think? I like this idea. Um Danny DeVito and Robin Lord Taylor, Taylor aside, I think that Penguin always got a bum rap. It, like, it drove me crazy to hear Christopher Nolan back in the day say that he could just never find a way to make the Penguin work as a villain. And I, that just, to me, as much as I love those movies, that showed a bit of a lack of imagination. Uh, and I think that Colin Farrell shows that Matt Reeves is thinking in different terms about the penguin than how we maybe normally see him portrayed like i see colin farrell playing him as like a a slick euro trash arms dealer in gotham and i i think it would work uh seth what do you think i think what we've really seen from you know these decisions when they're they're casting in ways that might seem unexpected is that there's a very specific way that they're looking to take advantage of that casting for all the positive and negatives. Sadly for me, Colin Farrell comes with a lot of negatives. There just aren't a lot of positives for me that immediately spring to mind. And seeing him as the Penguin would be an opportunity to see maybe where a director has recognized that up until now, someone has gotten away with making it on screen using the following attributes and that Playing against that type is a way to not only give that actor a chance to do more than you might have seen them do before, but also show the character in a new light by by challenging what our preconceptions or previous ideas are. So I really like that this could be an approach that if done correctly, it could work really well. I just can't see it yet. And I like the idea that you're talking about with him being smooth. I, I kind of feel like that would have to be part of you know something that goes with Colin Farrell although now I'm also intrigued because when I've seen him do terrified when I've seen him unsettled he's actually come off as a more authentic character to me like when he's the the cool guy who suddenly gets the rug pulled out from under him and then he's really sweating and nervous and there could be a potential for like this nervous penguin this always, I don't know, twitching oh, something else about him that I haven't seen yet. Um, but the confident approach you mentioned is another way to consider. Kelly, what what were you perceiving when you thought of this idea or this casting possibility? I mean, my first thought was, wow, he's really not penguin shaped. Out of like everyone, <laughs> that we, <laughs> out of everyone that we've seen as a possible penguin so far, They've all kind of looked like that idea of the penguin that we have in our heads. But at the same time, that kind of, you know, piggybacking off what you guys were saying about, um, you know, this is a director that might be seeing the penguin in a different way than we've been seeing him. Um, I like it. I like that idea. And I do like Colin Farrell. I 
can't say for sure because I only ever saw this movie once. But if he was the dad in Saving Mr. Banks, I loved him. So on on that movie alone, even if it wasn't him, I will in my head give him the credit for it. And then on that alone be like, yep, he he could possibly be the penguin. Um, and it's funny because I actually earlier today was watching an old Batman the Animated Series episode where the penguin is trying to get Batman out of the basement of a bunch of kids. Um, and that version of the penguin where he's like trashing this you know, random person's home. And he, as as he's like looking at their paintings, he's like, oh, me trashing this place is great because it, you know, it looks terrible anyway. I'm doing them a favor by doing this. Like that sort of overly posh, overly confident, um, I guess, element, I think Colin Farrell could actually bring to the character really well. So it would be interesting to see how he actually ends up playing that at the end if he even ends up playing that because this is again in talks we've seen how many other actors in talks for the same role so it's i'm it's interesting i'm willing to give it a shot uh do you you have any any follow-up on that i just wanted to say that i agree totally with the idea of he's not what you normally picture physically for the penguin and i think that's a good thing because i think that that's a problem with the character it's that they can only see that physicality and they need to see, I think they need to see other possibilities in the character. And I think that's one of the things that I kind of like about the idea of Colin Farrell. I, I'm going to echo that by saying right now, as, as soon as we kept switching back and forth, every time someone would say, yeah, Penguin, I swear it was just Burgess Meredith, like, wah, wah. And I was just like, ah, oh, come on, man, let it go, let it go. And then sadly, it just would go to DeVito. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. I'm having trouble seeing past that. And that's really this early identification. Like, as far as I remember going back, that was my first association, followed by the most prominent afterwards, which was the DeVito version in Batman Returns. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, with only those two examples to go on without without trying to just go to something more recent like Gotham, it is really hard to picture any other type of a penguin. But the chance that we would get to see that and see just how it can take shape and then feel like, ooh, that's more definitive. Like, that's the new penguin or that's the new take on penguin. Get on board. That could be a really fun ride. Very true. Very true. Well, so I guess we'll see depending on if these talks actually pan out. And there is another actor, again, in talks to possibly play Alfred in um, Matt Reeves' Batman. And that is, and I, I'm i not 100% certain on how to say his last name. It's either Circus or Circus, and I like Circus better. So Andy Circus um, is currently in talks to play Alfred. Brad, what did you think? I think it is circus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At least that's how I always pronounce it. I like um, it. Let's go with it. <laughs> uh, you know, lately there's been um, between Gotham and Pennyworth, um, there is this kind of idea of a badass Alfred, and I think Andy Circus could bring that certain badassery to the role. Um, and and I, I and I've loved other stuff he's done, so I, I I don't see how he could possibly do a bad job. Seth, what do you think? I'm really intrigued by this because my first identification with Andy Circus is Gollum, 
you know, and clearly that would just be a really weird Alfred to just, you know, be the Gollum character or, you know, any other of the motion capture characters that he's really known for. And yet what I'm also intrigued by is whenever somebody has, you know, garnered a certain amount of success for doing something like that and then kind of flips the coin, you know, and shows you that complete other side of who they're capable of being. Not only do I feel he's got the physicality to bring that level of elite, as as Brad pointed out, badassery to the character, but I also feel that there's that ability to simply step into the character. I think I've used this example before, and maybe I just have to find better examples of like that second skin, but able to just step into it and then find a way to fill the role. Um, kind of like a clay face, kind of like that. Just, you know, who do you want me to be? I can be that. And Andy Serkis has this amazing ability. I swear, I hope we're saying his last name right, because it feels so good to roll it off the tongue that way. Um, he's got this just ability to fill the character and make its flesh feel like, hey, that's just the way he's always been. And you never really got a chance to see it till Andy Serkis showed you how it's supposed to look. And I think we could have a, a really great performance as Alfred. Again, as Kelly has pointed out, if this ends up being a real story. Talk, talk, talk. Kelly, what's your take? I mean, they're, they're in a lot of talks for this movie. There is a lot of conversation going on. But I, it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned him as Gollum because I, I don't actually remember him in, in that role at all. I guess I was maybe... I don't know. I guess I just picture like the actual little like crawling around character and not so much the person behind it. But I do actually think my best memory of him as an actor is in uh, Black Panther, where he played that that main villain who honestly was hysterical. I mean, he brought so much to the movie just by showing up and being kind of loud and a jerk. But also, I mean, there there's a whole little second where it's like please don't make me listen to your soundcloud because he's so proud of the music he's listening to while he's you know robbing a casino i mean it's it's really fantastic and honestly i I would like to see him in this role and it's in my head he's kind of a villain so it'd be it'd be very different to see him as alfred who is probably the least villainous character in the dc universe uh either anyone else any any follow-up any last minute things on mr circus uh, I just I, I'm liking that even though there's still all these rumors that the picture is starting to become a little more clear, like we're getting a little closer for this to be a reality. So that's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, so we have some new news on Robert Pattinson, who I know was the everyone's either least favorite or most intriguing choice for Batman. But he's been training um, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to get ready for the role um, so there's there's some really interesting information about how that's kind of going to play into him as as Batman. Um, Brad, what did you think? Well, I just think it's cool that uh, they're working with uh, Regan uh, Machado, who did a lot of the fighting and training for John Wick, because, you know, if you've seen those movies, the fighting in those movies, it's it's like a tightly choreographed ballet. <laughs> so I, I think that bringing that to the fight scenes in Batman could be uh, a very cool thing. Uh, Seth, what do you think? 
I think this is really great news. I, I'm always intrigued by the fact that one of the things I've noticed the most about people who study jujitsu is they don't have to be the most physically imposing person to either A, be in a class, or B, to win a match. In fact, I always love hearing, uh, remembering a story that a guy I worked with who studied it had told me about a match he'd gone to and a young guy who was newer in the sport was taking on a guy who was much bigger, much more muscular, but that the uh, guy he'd come to see had better jujitsu. Like overall, his form was better. And he was able to take down this bigger guy and wrap him up in a hold and win the fight. And, you know, it was really interesting that he also said later the the bigger guy came up and talked to him and was like, yeah, I got to improve my jujitsu. My strength is good. But, you know, this guy was able to take me down. And I, I smiled at that idea. And it was always something I kept in mind when I thought about jujitsu. And Pattinson's not a very large person in my sort of mind, the image that I have him. I don't see him as very physically imposing. And yet neither is Keanu Reeves. And John Wick employed all of the best uh skill sets that come from jujitsu but then also it seems like machado uh regan machado to, to quote him correctly because brad you did a great job of saying his name and i want to try and echo that <laughs> and not just sound like you know me and him are so cool you know machado um but that this idea that that he was able to bring out this very um realistic take every opportunity use every advantage strike 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 until you know it's over and then move on to the next that that style really made john wick one of these great action movies where it's like you have the weapon you punch the guy you shoot him you kick him you shoot him a couple more times you maybe elbow him and shoot him again and then he's done and you go to the next guy and the idea is like you've got all these tools you don't just shoot shoot you don't just kick kick you don't just punch punch use everything that's available as you need it when you can use it and whatever you can get your hands feet or you know head on and um employing that could really make for this creative and inventive approach from Batman when it comes to any of these fight scenes. And given that he's already got the best utility belt ever created, adding in that mix of just creativity on top of it could be amazing. But that's my rambling. Kelly, what's your take? I, um, yeah, I think that, and actually one of, one of the things you mentioned, um, that he was on the John Wick movies, but I think the fact that he's previously, um, you know, kind of previously done that sort of, there may be a big physical difference, which in the DC universe, everyone knows that Batman, you know, he's, he's the superhero without superpowers. He is not ever going to be the strongest person in the room for the most part. There's always going to be someone who has a little bit on him. And Batman's strength as a character is being able to, figure out those those strengths that they have, figure out where he might be lacking, and then navigate his way around so that he still comes out on top, which I think jujitsu is the, you know, the perfect sort of fighting style for that. And then also, um, you know, from what I said in the article, there's a lot of emphasis on being able to, yes, outmaneuver your opponent, but then subdue them and kind of keep them in a headlock or keep them somewhere um, until they tire themselves out, which is also really... I would say really similar to Batman's kind of core belief of, you know, he doesn't kill people. He doesn't shoot people. He just, he, he gets the bad guy and gets them where they need to be so that Gordon and the rest of the, the Gotham PD can come get them. So I think of all of the, the sort of martial arts styles they could have picked for this, it's interesting and really, really fitting that they went with this one. So 
I mean, at this point, I'm thinking maybe Matt Reeves did have a method to all of the madness we've been seeing for the past, I don't know, year or so. Because uh, it, these details seem very focused and it seems very deliberately chosen. So I'm, I'm happy about it. And with good reason. <laughs> and so we're so as I, I promised earlier, we're circling back into the Joker. Um, although this is more or less a spoiler free Joker announcement that uh, the Joker has become the most profitable comic book movie ever. Um, and at this point has raked in, I believe it's 953 million globally. Uh, Brad, what did you think? Uh, I'm just going to go back to what I said earlier and said, come on, have you, who hasn't seen this movie? <laughs> um, judging by that, that um, amount, I mean, it's, it's really, really captured a moment. Um, and I've said that before in the podcast as well, but this, this, this is that tempest in a teacup, that perfect storm of capturing a cultural moment and just being a really good movie and made with a budget that, you know, with that budget, no wonder it was, it was profitable. So yeah, I mean, it's just such a success all the way around. Seth, what do you think? Amazing success. And I'm really intrigued by the fact that when I, I read through this story, a couple of things really stuck out for me. One, it's considered a, a mid-budget film because of how much it costs to make it. Two, that it's a, a 2D title, that it, it didn't feature any of the 3D buzz that apparently can be a big factor when it comes to pulling in additional dollars. And then lastly, that it was able to do all this without relying on China, when it looks like everything else that they're comparing it against, those are numbers that, that come into play. And its ability to do this without any of those additional advantages or in spite of those opportunities is really, I think, as you pointed out, a recognition that when a movie does what it wants to do well and achieves its goals by executing by really paying attention to all those elements that make so much sense and are so important when you're trying to tell a movie, show a movie, create a movie that has its fingers on the pulse because pulse changes. All it takes is riding in a car and one of those little dips in the road where your stomach drops out and your heartbeat's gonna change real fast. And if that's the way the heartbeat of a city, a people, a state or a nation or even globally is reflecting its responses to things, then you have to be just as adaptive or at least understanding that what you're talking about has to show that adaptiveness in it. And this movie in so many ways could slow your pulse to a quiet reflective moment and quicken it with just a turn of less than 10 seconds. The ability to do that is clear in these numbers because it's showing that what these guys wanted to do and then what they achieved is a match made that I, I would hope most films are going for. And if they're not, well, let me go ahead and give you one little carrot. Look at all the money they're making when you do it right and you put those things together correctly. And if the money's not good enough for you and the audience is good enough for you, then, well, what are you doing making movies, man? Kelly, what's your take? Yeah, I, I mean, to echo you guys, Yes, it is absolutely um I don't it's it's such a different kind of comic book movie. It's such a different kind of 
not it's I mean it's not a superhero movie but in terms of actual the comic book movies that we've been seeing lately there's so much CGI and they're at like a you know ridiculous astronomical amount budget and it's it all seems very kind of fantastic and you know big concept whereas something like the Joker you know Seth like you're saying had was just culturally relevant enough to really drawing crowds and unsettling enough to keep you on the edge of your seat but then at the same time it was you know, didn't really rely on any of the the crazy effects and extra, you know, CGI green screen stuff that tends to be the, uh, not necessarily the cornerstone of a lot of the comic book movies we've seen lately, but uh, that those productions really rely on. And the fact that so many people have seen it and so many people have connected with it, even though it didn't you know, didn't necessarily go above and beyond to be this crazy visual, you know, look, we can make aliens pop out of stuff sort of movie is, I honestly, it makes me really happy in a a strange way. I'm kind of happy to see that this is a movie that had to rely so strongly on the actors and on the director and on the actual content of the script more so than, you know, the actual look, we're in space sort of feeling. Um, so yeah, I think absolutely, Brad, as you were saying, if you haven't gone to see the Joker, I just go see it. It is so, so incredibly well done. Uh, did either of you have anything else on, on Joker or Batman? I'm actually going to add one more thing on Joker. And this is just for anyone who hasn't seen it. And it, it, it's a note and it's, it's said with all of the most heartfelt consideration. We're not going to stop talking about the movie, the Joker. It's just going to keep happening. So go out and see the movie so you don't have to feel like all these spoiler moments are things you have to avoid or that it's something that you can't connect to because it's designed to connect with you, too. And like I said, we're just going to keep talking about it. So, you know, get on board when you're ready because we're already there and we're not done talking about it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The Joker is not going away. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, I and I, I almost feel terrible knowing that I saw it so late after everybody else. But it's in any case, it's worth it. It is 100% worth all of the hype and the 953 million, which is just an astronomical number that I will did not even comprehend in my lifetime. But speaking of money and paying bills, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And we will be right back with our TV and streaming news. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. 
Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Alrighty, and we're back. This is the DC Comics News Podcast number 46. I am Kelly Gaines, and I'm here with Seth Singleton and Brad Filicky. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. And we are about to talk about our TV and streaming news. So with the the kind of big finale of Arrow, we've had a new announcement that a former character who died in the last the last episode he was seen in will be coming back for a few episodes in this final season um so paul blackthorne will be back on the cast for a little bit brad what did you think uh you know i wish i was more caught up on arrow to have a stronger opinion about this um i'm, I'm i guess my first reaction is that i'm guessing it's going to be flashbacks of some sort uh, unless it has some tie-in maybe possible with uh, Crisis. So we'll see, but it's good to have him back. I like all these characters and these actors getting getting one last chance to say to say goodbye to the fans. I think that's um, I think that goes to show uh, how loyal the fan base is and how well the the people behind the show and the actors, how much they do respect the audience. Seth, what do you think? I am intrigued by this. I'm a little more caught up on the show and saw the uh, recent episode when uh, this article kind of mentions the uh, the appearance of Colin Donnell and how they explained why he could be back on the show when he was actually playing the Earth 2 version of Tommy Merlin and how that actually was fit into the story. And the, the interesting thing is that it appears that they're using Ollie as sort of a, well, the monitor is using Ollie as a agent to go out and find certain artifacts that can in some way be employed to stop the anti-monitor or the coming crisis, or at least provide the earth with the tools it needs so they sent him to earth too and there he runs into the black canary from that world um now i know that it's a streaming thing and i know you guys i'm not sure if both of you are not caught up but i know you're not brad so i'm not trying to give away any spoilers but it becomes crucial that he makes this interaction with the black canary from earth too and it looks like she might be part of a group that ends up aligning with oliver on his mission to perform whatever tasks the monitor's asking him to, to fulfill. And that was how they were able to sort of use the Tommy Merlin part. So it makes sense to me that we'll have an opportunity to do something similar with the uh, Quentin Lance character, whether it's from a different Earth, whether it's from Earth 2, um, or anything else like that. And I think what's neat is that there can be this really interesting conflict of character where he's got a history with that character based on his earth, but that character's relationship to him is shaped on the events that transpired on that earth. 
And there's that really great emotional experience that can be felt by the audience and their connection to Oliver and what that disconnect is like with a character where there's a lot of emotional history, but that based on where that character is originating from, it doesn't understand that history the same way. So that can be a really interesting way of doing it. However, flashbacks could be an opportunity because as they mentioned, you know, even though uh, Blackthorn's run on season six officially came to an end, season seven featured a sort of documentary style episode in which he got a chance to see new archive footage of him. Um, which when you're dealing with all this past, present, alternate Earth stuff makes me sound a little bit crazy or maybe like I think I know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to pass the mic now to Kelly because hopefully between all of us, we all do, or at least you guys make me sound even more like I know what I'm talking about. Kelly? <laughs> I Unfortunately, I'm in the same boat as Brad in the sense that I haven't I'm not caught up on Arrow. I don't know a ton about where, you know, where the current season is. That's that's one of my it's on the list of things that Kelly needs to both watch and read. Um, but it does from what you guys are saying, it does make a lot more sense for um, Quentin to come back again in a flashback sort of scenario. Although, to be fair, there's a lot of, you know, reality and earth hopping in this show. So I'm not sure. I mean, it's, it's good that, um, you know, that Paul Blackthorne gets to come back and be a part of this cast and kind of have a, a positive send off. But I, I don't know, I'm always wary with anything. And I'm sure you guys know, you know, have this same feeling, but anything comic book related, when it seems like someone's coming back from the dead, it's kind of like, a. Uh, so hopefully it's, it's not that kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> And so we have some other more more music than TV news, but for the Watchmen soundtrack um, by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, if you haven't seen the show or if you have seen the show and like the music, you can check it out on Spotify now. Uh, Brad, what do you think? I everybody knows that I'm a huge, huge fan of Watchmen. Also, a huge, huge fan of Nine Inch Nails. Back in the day, they were like during college. That was my go-to. Um, you know, and so I love it when like two of my favorite things can come together. Uh, you know, uh, at uh, Comic Con we saw the first episode, and I'm listening to the music, and I said, "Man, this really does sound like Trent Reznor." So I, I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, "Watch the credits because I bet that that really does sound like Trent Reznor." And sure enough, and as a big Nine Inch Nails fan and a big Watchmen fan, seeing his name in that. Uh, yellow Watchmen font did my heart proud. So uh, I always liked his work, and it really does sound like Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nails, and it fits in well with the Watchmen aesthetic. And uh, I just love that now you can that you can actually stream the whole thing. And this is like a part one, and I think between now and the end of the year, they're releasing like three different um, like mini albums of the soundtrack, which I'm really looking forward uh, to hearing. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, I think it's a really smart move because I think that overall, you know, it's it's one of those great things that that helps make the show so complete. You know, when you're when you're watching it, when you're listening, it helps create this great tone that as you're enjoying it, you're finding yourself aware of how at times the music is just so powerful that it, it really. I saw seven was probably the first time I was aware of Trent Reznor's involvement in in soundtrack um, 
work and what he did for that movie sort of freaked me out in a way that I always identify <laughs> certain elements when when he comes into play. So when I started watching Watchmen, that was one of the things that I remembered as soon as I, I was kind of sucked into the first episode at some point going, oh, that's right. Reznor's doing the music for this. Makes all the sense. And it was just that extra sense of understanding and then uh, the the sort of depth of the experience that comes with it. Closer was one of those songs that if you were parking in the parking lot of my high school, it was blasting from everybody who had a sound system in their car. Uh, it was the thing that, you know, people were pumping out of their headphones. It was it was huge. And it seemed like everything he did afterwards just seemed to have this amazing energy to it. The way he brings it to the big and small screen is phenomenal. What he's done with it in Watchmen has just completed the experience episode to episode. Putting it on Spotify is just a great way of letting people suck back in. I'll, I'll be honest with you right now. Um, if you've seen Stranger Things season three, you know that there's a classic 80s movie song that's sung in that season three. <laughs> and I went ahead and because A, I love that song and B, because the show is so much fun. I actually have on one of my playlists the character version of them singing that 80s song and just like, yeah, Brad, you're chuckling along. Thank you, man. Cause you know what I'm talking about. Kelly, yeah. if you do too, you can laugh in with, because, uh, I mean, it's just that great sort of flashback for me where I'm like, yeah. And put it up there for me so I can get my hands on it. Well, I think for any fan of Watchmen, for anyone who's enjoying the show and loves the music, put that stuff up there. Because clearly they're going to scoop it up and they're going to love the experience because it's part of the show. It's part of something else they can add to their experience even when they're not watching it. I mean, it's what we call a win-win, folks. Kelly, what's your take? Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's funny that you guys mentioned the how popular Nine Inch Nails, you know, was or has been, and and Trent Reznor is such a definitive and kind of unique talent. But I can very vividly remember in high school like maybe ninth grade listening to hurt and and just like feeling so I don't know so teen angsty and I don't know what 13 year old me thought was wrong with the world that that was the song that was my go-to song but <laughs> hearing Trent Reznor and Watchmen makes it I mean it, it fits it fits really well and I know you know the article also mentioned that uh you know there are some fans who are frustrated that it's not that kind of classic Watchmen soundtrack with like you know Bob Dylan and all along the Watchtower and all that but because this is a series set in you know in a, a later time I think Trent Reznor and that whole you know sort of angsty terrifying sound that he's going for is really really good and it fits it perfectly um, so it's this is definitely something that I will be downloading and listening to on Spotify for sure. By the way, Kelly, it, you were 13. Everything is wrong with the world. Is. <laughs> it's, it's just how the world is. It's all completely unfair. And you're the only one who understands it, let alone can perceive it. <laughs> I, th I think it was something stupid like that. My dad was like, if you're going to nap on the couch, you might as well go nap in your room. And I was like, no one gets me. <laughs> I'm so misunderstood in my own time. <laughs> right. I, I was a groundbreaker. I was taking naps on the couch. <laughs> in in any case. Careful now. Let's not set the world on fire. Come on. <laughs> 
ahead of my time. Um, in any case, going back to to my high school and my my home my homeland of New Jersey, we have recently heard that Kevin Smith is going to be hosting the um, the CW's Crisis event after show. Um, so, yeah, Kevin Smith, the the guy who has been wearing the same shirt for thirty years. <laughs> Brad, what do you think? I. Yeah, I think I will definitely watch this. Um, one thing that's fun about watching Kevin Smith in a context like this is that he's such a fan, and he just exudes fandom. And he's ha- he has such a connection to the Arrowverse shows that I think that he's a perfect choice to host this, and it does make me want to watch it. Seth, what do you think? Yeah. I think it's one really important to point out, you know, what you said, the fact that he's such a fan. I mean, shameless fan, just like if you put the camera on him, he's just his eyes get as big as possible. His eyebrows kind of go towards his hairline and he just takes on this. This is me when I was 12 and I wanted my friends to understand just how excited I was about something. And he never let goes, lets go of it. Just like Kelly pointed out, he still won't change that shirt. And this article reminded me of just how many episodes he's done when it comes to directing Supergirl as well as a few other shows. And that can really make for a fun take from someone who's doing an after show kind of party thing like that. Um, I, I, I think there's something additional that you're going to get compared to if you just said, hey, here's cool, good looking guy so and so to talk about the program with us afterwards. Instead, you get, one, the fan effect, and then, two, you get a little bit of somebody who might be able to share some things from their experiences behind the camera, from their experiences working with the actors, from their experiences of interpreting the character, and maybe letting us into those insights that maybe don't always make it on screen, but when you're a fan and you hear about them, they just add to that experience. So I I think there's a lot to be enjoyed from him uh, doing this series of shows afterwards. And uh, I can definitely see uh, all the good reasons why anyone would want to turn in. I often like DVR them. So now I'm going to have to figure out how can I DVR this thing so that it also, you know, gets me the thing or or do I have to watch that separately? I'll figure it out. That that's my problem. Kelly, what's your take? I, and I've definitely said this before, have such a complicated I guess, internal relationship with Kevin Smith on the grounds that, you know, he he is from my home county. I loved Clerks. And there was a period where I couldn't stand him on the grounds that, like, I don't know, I would watch some of his stuff or listen to him talk and just feel very, like, wow, this man can't do female characters. Like, he just, he, he can't do it. But then to watch him sort of over the years develop as a writer and develop as you know, a a person, I would assume, I really, really like Kevin Smith now. So I know I harped on the shirt, but I mean, it's, that's how I knew there were people cosplaying as him at New York Comic Con, because I was like, oh my God, that's (laughs) Kevin Smith's shirt. (laughs) How else would you know? And, you know, so I, I honestly think that this is something that I would watch. He is one of the, probably the most dedicated comic book fans I think I've ever heard of. And it's funny because he had and I was watching it came up on Amazon Prime, but the his comic book men show that was out a while ago um, in his comic book store in Red Bank, which I have 
I've been to personally a few times. I was always disappointed that the guys who were on the show weren't in the store. But, you know, it's rewatching that and seeing that, you know, this is kind of something that he's made a, a cornerstone of his life. And he is that dedicated to comics and to fandom and especially to DC, it seems like. I think he is probably the perfect host for this. So it's it's something I would watch for sure. And so also going off of, um, you know, the CW and what's going on there, we have Arrow's Stephen Amell leaked, quote unquote, um, a little first glimpse at the Crisis on Infinite, Crisis on Infinite Earths footage. Um, you know, leak, if you can say that. Uh, but Brad, what did you think? Ah, man, that was barely, barely a leak of anything. Um, but it, it's it's fun to see the logo come on. And um, I admit that I, I kind of wanted to slow it down so I could see all of what was involved with those little flashes before the logo shows up. So I don't know if you guys have had a chance to do that. Maybe you can fill me in on something that I may have been missing. But it was kind of fun to see those different little bits of different characters, energies kind of come through on that. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I'm going to disappoint you, Brad. I'm sorry. I simply did not slow it down. I am not that person. However, guys, at the end of this episode, Brad always supplies the information where you can find him on Twitter. Should you be that kind-hearted soul? Should you be that caring and gifted DC fan who slows it down, records it, and shares it with him? I can't say (laughs) how appreciative Brad will be of that. But I do know that he will be, as he just said, very appreciative. How that measures up financially, social media, star fame, whatever. I'm just saying, if you're listening, the guy wouldn't mind it. And he's a solid dude, so he's worth the time. (laughs) You got me? Like, come on. You know, he goes to Comic-Con with his (laughs) wife. That's classy right off the bat. You know, (laughs) plenty of guys are like, no one's holding me back. No one's like Comic-Con. I'm, you know, that's my time to shine. So, you know, I'm just saying this is a this is a good guy there. And because also because I didn't do it and I'm admitting that and asking you to take responsibility for it by, you know, doing that for me. Uh, That was a perfect example of what Twitter advertising is. Look, see it done. (laughs) That's that was my experience when it came to that video clip. Like I remember just seeing going right wait, it's not even, it's at an angle. Am I supposed to turn my head? Am I supposed to turn my phone? Hold on. Oh, that's it. Okay. And that was really, that was really my, (laughs) my take from it. I love seeing the logo. I love that they have all those little flashes, but there was another part of me that was going, okay, so I'll see the bigger version later. Great little heads up that it's coming. And that was probably my biggest takeaway, but I'm only one of three voices. Kelly, what was yours? I yeah, see you guys you guys got into the visuals. Honestly, the the main thing that stuck out to me was that little noise he made right at the end. Sounds exactly yeah. like something <laughs> you'd see in like someone's Snapchat video or something like that. Just like the ooh, like just a weird little noise at the end of a weird little video. <laughs> and I mean, no, if if that counts as a leak, then there are so many things in my life that I should have gotten fixed months ago because that was nothing. And I I mean, I like seeing the title. I like kind of that that quick little little flash, but 
yeah, I, I didn't slow anything down either. I just kind of giggled at the sound and was like, all right, this looks like it'll be something. So <laughs> I, I'm excited. But yeah, if, if anyone on Twitter has slown that footage down and figured something out, please do let us know because I would love to get more out of it than kind of the, the like, haha, I like that sound. <laughs> <laughs> We're so, here waiting. Just, you know, I, let us know. Just, just frame by frame and, and, yeah, I can't ask for anything more than that because it's something I couldn't do on my own. <laughs> so in, um, you know, in in other, I guess, us related news, if you are if you have a second to go on to Twitter, we are about to take a, a short sponsored break um, and we will be right back with comic book news. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, editor-in-chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Alrighty, and we're back. This is the DC Comics News Podcast number 46. I am Kelly and I'm here with Seth and Brad. And we are about to talk about the the current comic book news, um, which starts off with Raphael Grandpa, which if it is Grandpa, <laughs> I love that last name. <laughs> I'm finding all these names I like today. Um, and he will be doing the cover for the Dark Knight Returns, The Golden Child, um, one of the variant covers for that Black Label book. So Brad, what did you think? I think that even if he pronounces his name Grandpa, He's got to be grandpa forever. That's the best last name ever. <laughs> uh, the cover, I, I, I like it. It very much fits in with um, the Frank Miller uh, aesthetic of the Dark Knight Returns universe. Um, yeah, I dig it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, this may be the, the cover that I pick up when I go to, to get the issue. Seth, what do you think? Great cover. Really, just a lot going on. Great visual. It it does, as you said, it really uh, emulates that aesthetic that you've come to expect from the uh, Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns uh, run, and all this sort of angles and twists that it takes on classic characters, and now in this you know newer take on a character, this idea of Carrie Kelly as Batwoman. Um, Great image, and I'm really intrigued to see if 
I end up taking home more than one cover because I'll be honest with you, there's been a couple of these, like year one and a few others where I've gone, I only need the one cover. I swear. How did the second one get in there? I don't want to talk about it. It's just under there. And there I am with two books, just kind of laughing at myself like, dude, did you need that? And some part of me that's going, yes, yes, I did. Let's not talk about this anymore. So there's a possibility that it could be one of two or maybe this is just the winner. But right now it's in the lead. What's your take, Kelly? Yeah, it's it's a great cover. I really like, um, you know, and, and Brad, with what you were saying, that it kind of fits the aesthetic for the original Frank Miller, you know, The Dark Knight Returns. And and yet it's it's has this extra pop of color that's really different and kind of unique. So I, I definitely like the cover. And honestly, I, I have to admit that for a second when I first looked at it, I, I thought it was a picture of Batman. And then I went, wait a minute, that's... That does Batman's Batman doesn't that's not Batman's butt essentially because that's I mean it, like, it, it took me a second just looking at the picture that I was like hey wait a second that's not Batman because it's the colors are just so distracting and like but in a good way distracting like it just draws the eye and it's it's kind of this updated more I don't know modern way of looking at those aesthetics so yeah I I really liked that cover. Any any follow up guys? Anyone else kind of for a second thought it was Batman and then went wait a second? <laughs> if I did, I would not have been able to differentiate who it was based on his butt, and I can honestly <laughs> say that. Like, there's God, that makes me sound terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, it really doesn't. But it does remind me that, um, like, I remember in Deadpool, there's a fight scene not long after he becomes the Deadpool persona. And like they're in this warehouse and there's fighting and not everyone's fully clothed. And at one point my wife says, saw it. And I was like, really? Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, what? I just did. I know I, I look for things like that. And I was like, OK, so there's a certain degree of things I'm paying attention to and a certain degree of things you're paying attention to. And, you know, it's just about sightline, man. It's just about <laughs> sightline. So when it comes to this one, I recognized it wasn't Batman. The reasons why are clearly a little different than Kelly's. That's all. <laughs> That's I, yeah. It's, and I mean, again, it just, just at a glance, but anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. Hey. <laughs> Batman's is not the, this isn't, you know, Batman the, the damned again. We don't have to right. go on the whole <laughs> <laughs> a whole and I, I think honestly it was Batman the Damned that got me on this this like kick of like what I mean if we're gonna talk about it then yeah that's not him that's we've <laughs> clearly seen Batman and that's not it <laughs> which is I don't know maybe I would just, that's that's what I get for looking at pictures too quickly but <laughs> so we have I you know, let's make this sound deliberate by saying that I wanted to end that on a funny note because the next batch of news is is not that funny and it's actually really depressing um, that the DC War Giant number one and Teen Titans Go Giant number two are both postponed indefinitely. Um, Brad, what did you think? Uh, nothing that I haven't said before about the whole pushback and delays. Um, it is very disheartening that it's indefinitely but at least according to the story they do have plans to solicit it in the future uh i would love to see this dc war giant one come out because i just think that that that's they could 
do a lot of cool stories. Uh, I would love to see like Garth Ennis do a little story in it. I think that'd be cool and bring Sergeant Rock back for a story, you know, things like that. So I, I would love to see that actually see the light of day. So fingers crossed. Seth, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, part of me wishes that I had queued up that audio for that wah, wah kind of sound because this, this is this next set of stories really has that feeling to it. My only hope that I can place on any of this that that glimmer is the fact that they plan to resolicit both at a future date. Like that gives me hope that there's an intention to, for whatever reasons, reschedule. But I am disappointed, one, because I thought this DC War Giant would have been a really great opportunity to generate some interest for maybe some new uh, takes on titles in the future. And I was really looking forward to the announcement from Jim Lee that he's drawing a story written by Brad Meltzer. That's always been a recipe for success as far as DC is concerned, either one of those two gentlemen on their own and, you know, in a collaboration like this, I was and i still am hoping for the best of things so if it's possible that that rescheduling is not just a hopeful lie then i'm gonna just wait be patient and in the meantime tell myself good things are worth waiting for but if it doesn't at some point come true well then there's gonna be some disappointment and i think i'll be talking about it i think i'll be saying some stuff kelly what's your take yeah i I mean, I'm just, again, and as we've been saying for weeks, just worried that there's this sort of unexplained break in some of these stories and the fact that it's being pushed back indefinitely. I mean, yes, they're telling us that there is a a future date on the horizon, but there's a little part of me that's like, I I don't know that I'm going to hold my breath for that. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's disappointing. It's, something that has clearly become a pattern with a lot of DC titles. So there's, you know, there's there's some room for concern there. And it's fantastic that Jim Lee is going to be a part of it. But again, the book actually has to happen in order for, you know, for that to, to even be relevant. So, yeah, I think just echoing you two, and I'm, I'm disappointed. And I am not excited about the rest of the pushbacks that we have to announce. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to take a slight break from the pushbacks to say that DC is currently hiring a publicity and communications director, um, which sounds like a, a stressful but really cool job. Uh, Brad, what do you think? Hire me, DC. Hire me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It's interesting. I I would hope that, and I don't, you know, this reading the job description doesn't really seem like it would have much of an effect. But there's this this part of me that it's like maybe if they get this person, then they can get the books out on time. You know, although like I said, it's not really related. But I just, you know, that would be nice. Um, yeah, I mean, good luck to the person who gets it. I think that's it's a great opportunity. Seth, what do you think? I also think it's a great opportunity. I am more than happy to polish up my resume and submit it for review and or approval. I'm available for phone interviews, and I live here on the West Coast. So dropping out to Burbank, come on, man. That's just a $79 flight on Southwest or something like that. But should I not meet the requirements and someone else take on this? Yes, very intriguing and Sounds like somewhat stressful job. I'm hoping that maybe they can give us some messaging about what's been going on 
what actually is the reasoning or justification for so many pushbacks. And maybe they can sort of get the necessary, I'm not sure what it is, perspective, so that they can try and provide some insight for the rest of us. Because the way we've experienced a series of pushback stories dating all the way back to sometime in like April, I don't know, it becomes just this like week after week, who's the next one on the chopping block. But if we could get someone who could let us know why these things have been happening, where they could be happening and what it means because it's all part of some great big beautiful thing we're all going to really love later, then that would really help give a sense of things. But until that happens right now, my hope is that whoever this person is has the heart and the passion to bring to life all of those things that we love about DC and can communicate it to us through all of the things that We've seen great publicity and communication directors do for great titles and brands that we love. Come on, DC. Like, come on. This is your moment. You got this. Kelly, what's your take? Yeah, uh, DC, if you're listening, I mean, Seth and Brad, pretty solid candidates. Because though though I do not, or I mean, I have the right degree, but I have not been in the workforce since fourth grade. And... (laughs) So 10 to 15 years of experience is just not a, a, it's not viable for me. So, I mean, Seth and Brad, they're they're pretty fantastic. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. You're welcome. Thank you're you. welcome. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, God, I, I would love to, for there to be somebody who could tell us what's going on, which I think that's that's my main takeaway from this is, oh, good. Are they hiring the person who's going to tell us what's happening? Because pretty much all of the news after this is just going to break everybody's heart. So, yeah, if they're hiring for who's going to tell us things, then please, for the love of God, pick someone. Um, So going back into the depressing stories, we have Shazam number nine is postponed, total postponed 17 weeks. Um, We may be seeing it on November 27th, although personally, I just don't. I don't know. It's another one of those things I'm not going to hold my breath for. Brad, what do you think? I kind of resigned myself to the probability that I will not be reading the Shazam story until I'm collecting Social Security. So I've just kind of accepted it. It, It's a shame. Uh, You know, it's a shame because I remember um, at Comic-Con when they talked about the series, uh, was it the Jeff Johns spotlight and he was so excited about it and it just seems like it's such a it's such a bad mark on its legacy that it's that it's been delayed this long and like we talk about you know it keeps losing momentum and that's it's just it's just a shame i just want to see it all come out seth what do you think i've resigned myself to the collected edition whenever it comes out whenever that ends up happening Um, At this moment, I'm really looking forward to eventually reading or hearing the story about what caused all this to happen, why it stayed bad for so long, and why it took so long for it to either A, be fixed or come to whatever conclusion it reaches. But after this amount of time, it it really feels like it's, it's due for an explanation, and I'm looking forward to that because right now it's a little difficult to you know, 
say much more about these stories. And when it happens like this, I find myself just sort of going, okay, I, I want to be able to say more. And I really, really can't. Kelly, can you? Uh, not, not really. No. I mean, I, it, it is frustrating because there was such a, a good amount of buzz after the Shazam movie. And so many people were excited about this book and into it and like really, you know, really riding that, that Shazam wave. And at this point until, until Shazam two or the black Adam movie comes out, it's almost like, I don't know that they'll still have that same high and that same reception, especially because right now we're used to hearing that it got, you know, pushed back and delayed. Um, so yeah, I, I much like Brad, I think it'll be a very, very, very long time as in my grandchildren wheeling me around a park somewhere time before, you know, before we really see the <laughs> end of this. So yeah, I, it's disappointing. Um, and hopefully November 27th is the day. So, uh, yeah, I mean, coming off the, the Shazam disappointment, um, we have, and I, we're, we're just going to ride the highs and lows here, guys. Um, DC is bringing in a new artist for the infected Deathbringer, um, which is the the dark version of Donna Troy that we've been waiting for for Year of the Villain. So it's the artist been, has been changed from, um, I believe it was Ben Oliver, and now it's going to be Brent Peoples. God, I love these last names. Brad? <laughs> Uh, I would rather have a new artist than a pushback. So if that's what it takes, then uh, you know I, I just want to see these books come out. So uh, you know I'm I'm okay with it. So uh, yeah, I mean we got to get these books out. End of the you know at the end of the day. So I'm just glad to see that the book is going to be hitting shelves. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I agree with the uh, decision to change out the artist in order to meet your deadline. And the nice thing is it's the infected Deathbringer number one. There's no continuity of art that needs to be you know, worried about or considered or attempted. It's just an opportunity to bring in an artist to complete the project and tell the story. And you know, I'm pretty sure that they went after this artist for a availability, but also because they have the tools that this team is looking for to help complete this project. So even if it can't be Ben Oliver, if it's now going to be Brent Peoples, you know, you got to figure that they went after Brent Peoples for a reason. And I'm looking forward to seeing the results. Plus they're doing it on time instead of another pushback. So that's my take. Kelly, how about you? Yeah, I, I think if, if it's on time, then I'm happy. And also uh, yeah, that's a really good point that this is the first issue, so we don't have to rely as heavy um, or as heavily on the fact that there's going to be any sort of breakup in the the art style. It's it's the first issue. There is nobody knows what this is going to look like yet. So yeah, I mean, it's I, I guess I would say I have no horse in this race except for the horse that's on time. So yeah, good good for good for Mr. Peoples. Um, and so our, our last bit of comic book news goes back down the rabbit hole of pushbacks that the crisis on infinite earths giant number one, um, has been pushed back a month. So this book is going to include, um, both classics, the classic story, and then also, um, you know, some newer stories. So 
Brad? I mean, I I can assume part of your answer, but <laughs> what <do> yeah. You... <laughs> well, I, I the, the thing with that bugs me about this pushback is that it it was it was it had originally been planned to come out right during the start or in the middle part of the Crisis crossover on CW. Now it looks like it'll be coming out at the end, and that's a that's a shame because people interested in the story could go to the comic shop and find this. And I really love the idea of uh, new stories. Uh, I'd love to see what those are all about. So, as again, it's just, it's just a shame that it can't come out like right at the height of all the crisis news and stuff that people are going to be talking about. Seth, what do you think? Yeah, I was really disappointed because this seemed like the perfect filler, the perfect opportunity to go, oh, hey, this is great. You know, we've got this lull during the whole, uh, you know, crisis TV series. Now you get a chance to pick up on the stories plus, you know, 24 pages of new stories plus the reprints. I mean, this seemed like a perfectly bundled package. And then you had to go and screw it up by pushing it back. I don't know what else to say except... You just went and screwed it up, man. Like, there was a whole great timing thing here. How they can address that in any way, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure I'll enjoy it once we get it, and that'll be great. But overall, this feels like another issue where the pushback really hurts, more importantly, because the timing would have been so perfect if he could have just made that deadline. How about you, Kelly? Yeah, um, I think especially with the issue of timing and the fact that this was going to be something that piggybacked on, you know, a bigger, more publicized event would have been amazing. And I, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm disappointed with all of these pushbacks and it kind of ties into how at this point Shazam has gone, gone past that initial bump of popularity for Shazam from the movie it's I I feel like they're not capitalizing on some of the the good publicity that they've gotten um which is frustrating because I know and you guys have probably had the the experience as a DC fan where you'd say that you're a DC fan and people go oh my god why and it's you know they they're they're doing really well right now in so many ways so to see them not capitalize on you know, on, on the fact that people are going to be interested in Crisis on Infinite Earths and people are going to be interested in Shazam right now, but we still have to move it back. is a, It's a little bit frustrating. Um, yeah, so just just frustration. Uh, either of you guys have any follow-up? <laughs> Man, I just wish one week we could have a podcast where we don't have to talk about something getting pushed back. Right. That's, that's my... <laughs> That's my dream for 2020 is to have a podcast where nothing is delayed. <laughs> and I'm just going to go ahead and add and say, um, if you're listening, DC, that new communications director, they have an open and standing invitation to visit the show and help address some of these concerns if they're up for it. No oh, pressure. No, absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> absolutely. you know, if you're willing to be the new kid to step into those shoes and to step up. Well, we got some questions for you, and we would love some answers. So, you know, standing invitation available. There's ways to reach out to us. Just, you know, let us know, because clearly it's taking a toll, and we're noticing. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, yeah, if they're, hey, new publicity director, we would totally, we would, we would love to have a, a pushback kind of 
I don't know, a pushback pushbacker on the show, if that makes sense. If, that, if that's a, a role <laughs> that someone can against the have. pushback. <laughs> exactly. Explain the pushback so we don't push back against the pushback. So it's like, it, that that's a whole... <laughs> I mean, really, maybe it's not too much of a conspiracy theory to think that that is one of the reasons why they need this position. Maybe there is... Maybe there is something they have to to address publicly. So, oh, now I'm afraid. Yeah, I well, (laughs) always a possibility, definitely. And it could just be that they realize that you know, with these things going on, and and maybe a certain amount of inconsistency still on the future or on the horizon, that they need to have somebody who can you know help communicate things that are going on in a way that sounds like more than just well we're rescheduling we'll tell you why later because that's what we're getting a lot of right now and clearly it's not working because if we're just a small segment of the people saying this imagine what the rest are saying and i'm sure not quietly so i feel like there's a you know a possibility that either they're recognizing the problem or there's another problem like brad pointed out that uh, we're just not aware of yet and they need to hire this person so they can tell us. <laughs> yeah, I so you know what? Because we're on such a low right now, I'm going to we're going to touch on the last low story before a a nice closing high story. Um so the Hollywood Superman Christopher Dennis uh has passed away. And he was a street performer that would, you know, make appearances as Superman. Um, Brad, what did you think? Uh, years ago, I was head of a screening committee for the Gen Art Film Festival, and there was a documentary that was submitted, and I really pushed for it, but it didn't get approved. It was called Confessions of a Superhero, and it was about um, these guys who dress up as superheroes in L.A., and one of them was him, and he seemed like such a great guy, and it was such an interesting story. So I was like, oh, man, what a bummer. Uh, I, I do recommend, though, that people do find that documentary. And I think that uh, it's available to rent for like two dollars on Amazon Prime. So it's it's definitely uh, definitely worth it. And uh, it, it's it's a, a good tribute to him now that he's gone. Uh, but, yeah, check it out. Uh, Confessions of a Superhero. Uh, yeah. And it was it was sad to see him go. He was definitely. Uh, kind of like New York has their naked cowboy, uh, LA had their Superman. It's just, it's a shame. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I think it's a really tough story. I mean, it sounds like he was clearly passionate about it. I, uh, I spent a very short time living in Hollywood. It was less, no, it was just about a year. And I didn't go to the walk much. Usually if someone came out to visit, they would want to do things like that see those parts of uh parts of the city and or the sprawl because my god there's it's just so big um (laughs) but i remember going down to hollywood boulevard and seeing the different people who were dressed up and i always wondered what the stories were like what what leads you to put on the costume to take pictures to know that from the moment someone perceives you, they're going to measure you up against their personal or internal image or uh, idea of what that superhero looks like. But after they do see you and maybe after they meet you or get their picture taken with you, they're going to have the experience of meeting you to like combine with that, to make it like this composite sort of drawing. And it's really interesting that 
his story was something that they were able to capture in this documentary. I'm intrigued by it. I'm going to be interested in probably checking it out, but there will also be a part of me that might not want to just now, just because, you know, it's, it's sad to know that he's passed. Um, and, and it might be a little bit interesting to, to see all that in this time frame. but there has to be something that takes hold of you that makes you want to do that. Just like there is to, become an actor or a comic book artist or a writer. And I'm really interested now about that story. I'm sad to hear about his passing, but some of the things that came out of this story about his sweetness and about how that was something that was captured when he appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live or when his story was captured in this documentary. And I guess the the heartening thing I can take away from it is that at least before he passed, his story was captured in that documentary. And the reasons for why he put on... Uh, the Superman costume and why he chose to be a public figure out in the streets of L.A. is something others can listen to and maybe take heart in as well. Kelly, what was your take? Yeah, um, I mean, I've I've never been out to L.A. And I think the, you know, the typical street performer that I'm used to is the kind of off-putting Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mice that you see in Times Square in New York. Um, so to see someone who really connected with, you know, with the people that met him enough that he was in this documentary, he was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, like he really seems to have been able to embody something in Superman that it doesn't make him the typical just person going out in a costume to make a buck. It makes him more of somebody who was connected to the actual core of that character and for, you know, whatever reason really wanted to spend his time emanating that. So I, I think that is a documentary that I'm going to have to rent. Um, yeah, it's, it's a sad passing and it's really unfortunate. Um, but at least he gets to be remembered kind of in this bigger way where it's, he's in some sense, a part of that whole Superman legacy. Um, either of you have any, any closing thoughts on that? Wow. No, I think you I think you wrapped it up really nice, Kelly. Really. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, for in in the spirit of wrapping up, um, we have one final story, which is that Lego has announced a gigantic 1989 Batmobile set. Um, And um, we've said this on the show a thousand times. And I think this is one of those those areas where Steve would be a really solid authority. But it's, you know. Legos, they they do it well, but they do it expensively. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, it is definitely aimed for that adult uh, Lego fan, and there are plenty. And I think they're all going to lose their mind over this. Um, they're not cheap, but you know, those for those collectors, it's 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 worth it. This looks like a a beautiful set. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of can't wait to see what it you know to see somebody put it together you know those and those like youtube unboxing videos should be pretty sweet for the set for sure Seth, what do you think yes this is not for the faint of heart or the faint in the pocketbook this will set you back a lot of pennies more than a few but if you are a fan of this is something you love doing it seems like they've really captured one of those signature moments batman 1989 the batmobile from that movie is sort of in the 
the mind of anyone who saw that. And it's it's something that either you wanted, you wanted to drive, or you maybe just wanted to take a ride in. And now you can come a little bit closer with this collection. This is something that's pretty pretty impressive, not only from the price point, but just over 3,300 pieces, just under two feet in length. I mean, at some point, the details start to become just a lot, but it's got all the functioning stuff, the pop-up machine guns. I mean, there's a lot of things where if you're the person who, who wants to not only A, spend the money, but then B, spend the time putting it all together and then C, maybe document it in one of those YouTube videos you just described, Brad, this sounds like the perfect way to fill every minute of your holiday. And it's it's the kind of gift that if this is what you were looking for, well, they had you in mind, they built it for you, just pick it up already because you're the one they made it for. And if that's not you, you can take, you know, whatever vicarious joy you want from either watching the video or knowing someone who does it. There's plenty in here to talk about, plenty to enjoy. And I don't think I should do all the talking about it. Kelly, what was your take? Yeah, um, that, I mean, that looks like a very comprehensive Lego Batmobile. I mean, it, it has functioning pieces. It's that size. Like, that is, I think for anyone who's a fan of Lego, and, you know, I mean, we're we're all a fan of Batman, but I really, if I had an extra 250 bucks, I think I might even go out and get this. And I haven't, I haven't done anything remotely Lego related probably since I was about 10 um, but this this sounds like a cool, you know, cool project for someone who's into that sort of collecting to get involved in. So, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really great tribute to that Batmobile and to, um, you know, as we're moving forward into the next iteration of Batman films to kind of see that come back in, uh, you know, in a classic way would be really, really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any any closing thoughts there, guys? No, I think you summed it up. Uh, I am available for anyone who would like my address and would like to mail me <laughs> this gift or any of the other gifts they've seen. Please just DM me, and I'm happy to share that information with you. Should you feel like you're a kind giver, you know, and I'm sure Brad and Kelly are of similar or uh, appropriately like-minded, so, you know, reach out. Let us know. I'm not saying you can buy our attention, our affection, but it is available for rent and there's a price. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so this has been the DC Comics News podcast number 46. Um, I am Kelly Gaines and you can find me doing opinion editorial pieces for DC Comics News and on Twitter at Kel Gaines Wright. And my co-hosts have been Seth Singleton and Brad Filicky. Uh Brad, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews on DC Comics News. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, FlickyB1, uh, F-I-L-I-C-K-Y-B, and the number one. Seth, where can they find you? You can find me on occasion doing uh, reviews or stories for DC Comics News. You can also find me on a weekly basis doing the uh, Spinner Rack. It's my weekly podcast where I pick my top five books each and every week from DC Comics. And if you want to find me on, let's say, we'll go Twitter this time. 
go ahead and look me up at the number one and more singleton. That's one more singleton. If you don't find me, that's okay. If you do, send a message. But, you know, it doesn't have to be nice. Just let me know what you think. That's the fun part. Oh, come on. Be nice to Seth. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to listen to Kelly, I won't get mad at you. <laughs> so once again, um, DC Comics News is now on all major podcast platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, so please head over and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. Let us know what you think. Um, you know, you can be mean to us or you can be nice either way. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow uh, DC Comics News on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News, uh, capital D, capital C, capital C, Omics News. <laughs> And be sure to check out the the Spinner Rack, which our wonderful Seth hosts right here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. Um, And we would like to remind you all, as always, to read more comics. Alrighty, thanks, everybody.